Hey everybody, Corey Michaelis back with my live stand-up comedy tour dates. If you don't want to hear them, press the forward 30 second button twice and the backwards 15 second one once. I will be in Chicago this Thursday, May 6th at Surge Billiards. DM me for the info. South Bend, Indiana, May 7th and 8th. Spokane Comedy Club, May 12th. And Tacoma Comedy Club, May 13th through the 16th and May 23rd. See you there. Hello and welcome back to Stripper Whisper, the podcast where I get behind the G-string and interview strippers about their lives outside the clubs, what it's like working inside the clubs, and how we can all be better customers in their space and spaces today. We're virtual um, with Candy from uh, currently Massachusetts, formerly Rochester, New York. Say hey, Candy. Hey. All right. <laughs> We're here, and of course, the episodes are interesting all by their lonesome. But before we get started, if you'd like to put a face to the voice, uh, check out Candy on Instagram at ataxia.333. How'd I do? You did great. That all was right. fun. <laughs> <laughs> and what's that from? Um, I started to draw and like sketch and I got interested in graffiti. So I wanted like a cool graffiti name. Uh, love <laughs> well, it. That's what I chose. Just out of thin air or? Um, it's, I think Greek for lack of order or chaos, which also ties in with candy chaos. So it's kind yeah. of cool. Awesome. So she goes by candy chaos, which is great with K's, um, just don't make your middle fake name a K also. No. All right. Yeah, you're smarter Never. than that. You know what's <laughs> All right. Um, you can also check us out on our Patreon page uh, at Stripper Whisperer. And um, I, uh, listen, I talk to a lot of dancers and strippers on this podcast, but I still need a little liquid courage. So you have wine and it looks like kind of a goblet. Uh, it's very fun. Uh, I'm very fancy. Yeah. And I have a welcome to Las Vegas <laughs> shot glass. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> mm, all right. And um, we always like to start the podcast with uh, just kind of a reminder for ourselves, but then it's fun to for the audience sometimes to hear like, how did we connect or how did you hear about the podcast or did I, have we met all those? I know we haven't, but uh, um, do you remember how you, uh, how we connected? I think I, I don't remember how I stumbled across your profile. I think maybe you had worked with somebody that I was following and then I checked you out and was like, oh, this seems cool. Um, I like to spread awareness about sex work. And when I see men doing that, especially, I, I'm grateful for that. So oh, I thought that was really cool that you give us a voice. So oh. I thought I'd give you a follow and I sent you a little message. Yes, you were like, how do you choose? I just scrolled back up and looked. It was like, so how do you choose folks to interview? And it just so happened that I was going to be in the, on the East Coast right around that time. But it was just no way to make it work to meet up in person that's a couple years ago 
and now we're all very adept at doing the virtual and so it's great like i can i can interview anybody all over the world um this is and, my first uh, zoom call oh is it oh yeah. wow your you your backdrop looks great and your audio sounds mm -hmm. great how did you how did you get it so right on the first try i'm a natural <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, that's. I'm so glad you reached out, and I'm so glad you said that because, you know, there are times where I feel like, uh, is this like, I, I'm not necessarily the right person to do this per se, but uh, I had the idea. So fucking tough luck, anybody else that, you know. Um, and I, I do want it to be a positive thing because I've learned over the years, uh, after having become single from a long marriage and being involved in comedy stand-up comedy which is my job uh which is uh also a late night entertainment industry yeah. that uh people don't speak about y'all very well and often don't treat y'all very well so no and we're I, people <laughs> <laughs> i know poor them right <laughs> that's a great point and uh what does your shirt say sex work is real work Oh, yes. Uh, I think AOC said that I recently. I pressed myself. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know if, uh, hopefully she's also not just saying it, uh, but also working hard in Congress to change things. Like, you're probably familiar with mm -hmm. FOSTA and SESTA. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, they. I don't know all the details, but I know that they're really taking aim at in-person sex work, especially and online sex work. Uh, how have you uh, how how has that all affected you like the laws because don't, we don't know the laws of massachusetts and new york it's very you're about as far away from seattle where i am as it could get so what are the well, laws like out there i i i can't say if it's much different on a state level but mm. i'm pretty sure fosta sesta applies to all of the united states so what's changed is now You've seen Backpage was shut down and then the Craigslist personal section was kind of removed and now Twitter, Tumblr, all these webs, well, not Twitter so much, but Tumblr and Instagram and Facebook, they're all kind of cracking down now and they don't really give us a space to find um, clubs to work at or talk with each other or share our experiences without being censored or pushed off the platform and it's it's dangerous and it, it's not fair for us and see that's sort of the irony of all of that is that it's the laws have been written under the guise of safety that's what they're trying to push them or yeah. convince us and people who work it's often that people outside of a group try to make decisions for people inside of a group and never ask the group you know, like, yeah. um, so how does it, um, f how does it make things for our listeners who are, are clueless? How does it make things more dangerous in your view? Well, there, besides the online stuff, you know, so now, now, like they used to have websites where, um, like for escorts, for Johns and for mm -hmm. women who are doing full service sex work, they had websites where they could warn each other about who's scamming who, who's dangerous, who to stay away from. Mm. And we can't do that openly anymore. So it's like what they they are basically forced to go work out of a club or on the street or working in hotels. 
And let me tell you, a lot of hotels now have started to also crack down on human trafficking because they're conflating sex work with actual human trafficking, which is really also detrimental to the actual victims of human trafficking because sex workers will be the first ones on the front line to see people who are actually being trafficked, who are being controlled by pimps, who have been sold into sexual slavery, we'll see it first. So we're the ones who should be working with law enforcement. We're the ones who should be coming forward and telling them this isn't right because this girl isn't free to do what she wants. He's withholding her money. He has her passport, stuff like that. We can't come to the police and tell them anything that we know because we're also afraid of being arrested or just singled out and harassed being raped, beaten, we aren't treated well. Holy hell, what an opening to the podcast. It's it's bad for everybody. (laughs) It's bad for everybody. Like if I, I know that at some hotels, I saw that they have like a card for people who are in the hotel or something. And I don't know where they should, but some hotels will say, be aware of human trafficking. And if you see a woman who is like that looks like this or is with a man or is she seems flirtatious like that's all human trafficking now so if i have like sexy clothes on and whatever they can misconstrue misconstrue the situation to be something that it's not and then ban you from the hotel and it's like then they can't work out of a hotel either like they're just running out of places to work and it's just more and more and more dangerous. And uh, what I noticed in the language you were using or they're using and you're, you're repeating is the focus is almost entirely on the woman. It's not on. Um, so, so it's on the, this uh, perception of what and who you are as a person, not just like, you know, the illegal supposed illegal act um or it's only illegal the men. because they made it illegal <laughs> right i mean that's what's interesting about a lot of people in america is and i suppose you know sort of all different um sides of coins but i've found how do i say this i'll say it more conservative folks in my view are very much well, we just abide by the law, whatever the law says, the law, the law, the law. And then when the law is something they don't want, i.e., I don't know, abortion for the last 40 years, all of a sudden they don't, they, it's, oh, not the law. It's, it's, uh, you know, ethics and morals and values that they care about. And I said, well, you just trying to But finagle. they don't care about the children in foster care. And they sure don't. <laughs> uh, well, they don't they, not the enough. Orphans not enough to speak out about it as uh, much as they speak out about things like abortion or sex work for sure. So yeah, it's, uh, it's all under a guise and hopefully we'll get some younger politicians uh, with different backgrounds. Um, it's interesting how folks don't recognize that when you have, you know, I taught history. That's what I taught world history mm-hmm. to high school kids, right? For years, 12 years. And so I'm very aware that if you have white men teaching high school history who also coach football, and that's all you got for all of American education, which it's been, 
you're that's white going to men affect. Are writing history. It's gonna yeah. Conservative they white men are writing history. And they and it's gonna and it's gonna uh, affect even if the even if that even if that teacher like me I was a straight white man but I was pretty liberal. I still am going to lean on sharing and teaching the things I know more about, and that's going to be uh, things that have been shared with me unless I do a ton of work. So anyhow, if you're going to teach world history for 181 days in a high school, you can't cover all of world history. So you have to do case studies. And, uh, you know, people of different backgrounds are going to choose different case studies and uh, help the kids see the world differently. So I knew that. And I wish we knew that at the political level that you got to get people with different backgrounds and who are. Um, I really, I've, I wanted Joe Jorgensen to mm. be able to speak at the debates. But of course, they just want you to believe that there's only two parties. So they don't want to let a woman especially speak. You know, sure. they villainized Hillary Clinton. And I, I don't know enough about her to like dislike her. I sure. think that all politicians are shady on a certain level. Let's not kid ourselves. Sure. But I feel that a third party should be able to speak at the debates. And yeah. the libertarians are actually a good option right now. And Joe Jorgensen knows what she's talking about. And she's very educated. And she was out campaigning. And she was doing a really good job. And I'm just, I, I knew she didn't have a chance, but I really just hope that the Libertarian Party can grow and start to gain more traction um, because they really do have a good message. And it's just live and let live and, you know, don't tell people how to live their lives. As long as you're not hurting anybody, just live your life. Yeah. And that's how it should be. Well, and it's, there needs to be value seen in, um, you know, being included. Um because some people only see value and well, if you can't win, then why be included? And it's like, well, that's not how it works. You need to have people be involved in speaking from all, you know, and, and within the parties, people need to be able to have the freedom to go. You know, it's, it's kind of wild to me that Congress almost always votes down party lines. And I'm like, that's so crazy. I get it. I know why, but I wish that wasn't uh, the case. So anyway, uh, what a great opening to the podcast. That's the best anybody has done at sort of speaking about Faust and Sesta. So I'm really glad that you um, have some insight because I, I don't have a lot of insight on it. Um, but I know it's a pain in the ass and it's unfair. It and uh, it's you're sad. right. Like, it's motivated me to try other avenues of work because I've pretty much just seen sex work as being... Um, more of a hassle and mm. not worth the amount of effort anymore. Um, I think one, because it's very like, I can't say it's an oversaturated market, but in a way it is because every girl, especially now during COVID wants to do OnlyFans. So right. there is a lot of competition and I don't think a lot of girls understand that unless you dedicate all of your free time to doing this and you invest in your business and you do photo shoots consistently and you really work and you network and you're marketing and you're promoting you're doing so much work behind the scenes you're doing the job of like six seven different people yourself and you're not getting paid for a lot of it you're doing right. it for free 
hoping that someday you can make money with it. But that's also the thing about sex work is you can't do it forever. So these girls have to have something to fall back on and something to do after sex work is done for them or they decide to transition to something else, which I don't right now. I think a lot of girls just want to make the money and they think it's fast money, but it's not. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, any online venture like that. When it finally reaches your eyes and ears feels like. They just did like even like as something as small as TikTok, where someone like does a really good one that goes viral and you go like, ah, they just did a TikTok and you like and then you try and do it yourself and you're like, Holy shit, this is really hard. <laughs> and hard. mine looks like <laughs> shit in the end. And yeah. Ratchet that up to a YouTuber where there's a lot of complaints in the comedy world about YouTubers. Oh, stupid YouTubers. And it's like okay, well, go ahead and do it then. Go do a sketch on YouTube and film it and make it look yeah. good and make it sound good and uh, see how much time and effort and energy that takes. And the similar is like, oh, I guess maybe I'll... And I've heard women, because I've talked to women about like, um, there's so much demand for, you know, uh, nudes and sex from women on the internet. The money is there. Right. But the money is a reflection of how much work you put in. Right. And a lot of girls just aren't willing to put that much time and work into the amount of money that they really want. Right. They'll just give up. Uh, you mentioned OnlyFans and a lot of folks have joined. And um, do you have any knowledge? Do you know about Bella Thorne and what she did? Or Yes, I heard about that. Okay, so I'm curious, because uh, I've tried to explain it to some folks, but I'm like, I don't know, I don't really have the words to explain why what she did was kind of lame, um, or so disrespectful to the sex industry. Do you know enough to speak on that? If you don't, it's fine. But, I uh, do, yeah. Oh, great. So give us a Cliff's note. So she uh, said, hey, I'm going to start OnlyFans, and she's an actress. Um, she either promised or she really, really insinuated she was going to post nudes and then did not. And then within like three days made a million dollars or something like that. Is that basically what happened? I think she made more than a million, but you might, well, yeah, she, yeah, she, she definitely, she made people pay to have a subscription. Yep. And I don't remember how much she was charging for her subscription, but she made a ton of money just on the people joining alone because they thought that they were going to be able to see more afterwards. Mm. And then she just ended up posting some photos in like lingerie and it wasn't nude. Just like Instagram so people were like, level. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? Hello. Right. Like right. we thought that we were going to see your nipples. <laughs> or some you know some bush now, but what if she had would you or other sex workers still had a problem with it i mean as or, long as she's using it for what it's meant to be used for then i wouldn't have minded sure. i still think that it's unfair that celebrities are favorited by a lot of platforms like Instagram will allow somebody with like one and a half million followers to show like nipples through the t-shirt and camel toe and very provocative 
images, but then a smaller account that does that will get completely shut down or deactivated. Oh, that or is shadow banned. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we the smaller accounts get get censored and shut down, but the ones that are making these platforms money get to stay. So I think that the sex workers, the real sex workers always get the short end of the stick because we glorify sex work in the in the media but mm. then the real sex workers are actually like treated like absolute Ugh. fucking trash right so like, it, it's a very horrible double standard because they glorify it and then you saw the movie hustlers with jennifer lopez i like, was just gonna reference that i don't want to watch it because i am gonna get angry yeah like i just don't i don't want to watch it right and then what i heard from some people is like um, some women was like, well, what are J-Lo and Bella Thorne doing to support? Like, they're making a bunch of money off of stories about sex work, J-Lo, or, or someone's version of a story about sex work. And Bella Thorne is taking advantage of a, ten, a traditionally, you know, an app that's traditionally used by sex workers to make a bunch of money and yeah. not providing anything of uh of value or what should what she promised or whatever um so i had a friend go that said was like well bella thorne your next movie or your next thing you do better be something you better start i think she out. just needs to show everyone her pussy and it will all be good <laughs> that's fair that's <laughs> like fair. i i show us the bush and it's fine like as long <laughs> as you're a sex worker i don't give a fuck but if you're just like pretending to be one, go fuck yourself. Because I love you don't it. understand. <laughs> you don't put yourself this. into that position to be objectified or harassed for what you do, then you can't pretend and you can't monetize off of pretending to do what we do. That's great. That's a great way to say it. And I think we'll name this episode, Show Us the Bush. Um, yeah, show uh, us the bush. <laughs> well, uh, let's rewind a bit. Um, uh, how long ago, like, how long have you danced and where did you start and um, what got you into it? Those kinds of questions, you know? I'm a little bit older than I look, but um, I started dancing in 2006. I graduated high school in 2006. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you so, are. I'll be 33 this year. Um, I've been dancing for, I think, about 14 years now. And um, I've enjoyed it, but I've also done it out of necessity because I had a rough life. Gotcha. But I do find parts of it very enjoyable and empowering. It's just when you're relying on it as your sole source of income, it gets very exhausting very fast and it's draining psychologically. In those first years, um, you know, after having a bit of a rough uh, upbringing or life, were you, were you focused and responsible and making a bunch of money or were you kind of partying or both? Um, well, when I first started, I, I had graduated high school and then I was going to a community college for psychology, like a lot oh, of awesome. white girls do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I started thinking like my family sucks. I don't have a lot of money. I want to have my own place. I want to have my own vehicle. I want to get away from my family. I want to okay. have my own life. And I knew the only way to have that kind of power 
was to start making my own money and dancing allowed me to do that. So at first when I had started, I had the right mindset, like I'm going to work and go to school and put myself through college. But the more I started to think about like, well, what do I want my future to be? What do I want to do? I started to realize I did not want the rest of my life to be listening to other people's problems. As much as I love people and I care about them, I just emotionally and mentally cannot because I'm too empathetic and I will become attached to these people. And I know that like I'll become too invested and I won't, I just won't be able to do it because it will kill me inside. And I would never truly be happy because I would want to help all of these people. And I just don't have that control. I would only be able to give them the tools. So I decided that I wanted to drop out and then just decide what I wanted to do and what I was very interested in because I felt pressure to graduate high school and go to college and get married and get a house and like the traditional life that everybody says you're supposed to have. But then I just, I didn't want that. Yeah. I just did not want that. So I started dancing and I, when I quit school, I, you know, I got into drugs and drinking very heavily but I started doing drugs when I was like 14, 15, 16, mm. because my family life sucked. So yeah. my escape. Um, and then I was also diagnosed bipolar when I was 17 years old mm. and I was put on lithium, which actually worked really well for me. But I was so busy self-medicating and taking drugs and drinking that like I just gave up on the medication um, and I, I went yeah, down, yeah, spiral, I huh? just had a really bad, like downward spiral and, um, it, it, it hurt, <laughs> but sure. I've done, I've done a lot of healing now and I'm, I'm very proud of myself for how far I've come. Absolutely. And you seem to me to have your shit together. And so was this, um, you know, uh, growing up and, and then also the, the first dancing was that in was that in New York was that in upstate New York or was that yeah okay gotcha. I was in Rochester New York when I started dancing and I danced at every club in that city except for two of them that were in the inner city that weren't great um, or safe gotcha but eventually I decided to leave because I love to do pole tricks and people were telling me you're so good you're such a good performer you should travel you should not be here you should be in vegas you should be <laughs> in new york city you should and i'm like okay i guess like i'm a big fish in a small pond i don't really like i didn't want to go anywhere but i didn't have anything at home gotcha and it was right around that time um of the housing bubble collapse. It was like 2008, 2009. Um, we started to go into a recession and my finances took a huge hit and I was depressed. I had gotten a DWI. I had some failed relationships that I was not happy about. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, I was losing my shit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I was not happy. So it just yeah. got, it, it got really bad. Um, but 
in 2015, January 2015, I ended up moving to Florida with my father and I got clean and mm. I started working at a really nice club down there called Scarlet's Cabaret. And um, I worked my ass off and I just, I was on Suboxone. I don't know if you know what that is. I do, yeah. Okay, so I, the way that I got clean is really um, unique because I, I didn't go to a rehab. I decided to do everything myself. And I think knowing enough about psychology and then like doing my own research on the human brain and the toxicology and the way that opioids affect the body, like really helped me to get through this whole thing myself but yeah. I would not suggest yeah. a lot of people to go do that by themselves. Right. Most people rehab or they need therapy. They need a very, very strong support system. I just didn't want to die. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. learned everything I could. Um, but I was on the Suboxone for a while and eventually weaned myself off of that after like a year and a half. Wow. And for folks who don't know, uh, Suboxone is usually in pill form or shot form? It's a sublingual, or... so it's actually something that melts under your tongue. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I. so the girl I'm dating her, well, I, anyway, I know about it. And uh, I, I, don't, I was about to reveal something that I don't need to be revealing. <laughs> but uh, I know people who have who've utilized that. And... Um, yeah. Uh, and it sort of makes you feel as though you're receiving the high, but, um, no, uh, but it, yeah, it we'll does not make it. you feel like it doesn't make you feel like you're suppress, high suppresses, suppresses the, um, urge, I think. Yeah, go ahead. It's an antagonist. It's an opioid antagonist. Ah, okay. Or, or agonist. I don't remember the correct term. So, um, <laughs> Um, but so basically what Suboxone does is it works partially on your opioid receptors, but it also partially blocks actual opioids. Gotcha. So if you're on Suboxone, if you were to use heroin or something, you would feel... it would not make you feel high. Oh, It yes. would block it. And so if you had... For example, if you had just done heroin and then you took Suboxone, it would then kick the heroin off of your receptors immediately, very quickly, and put you into what they call precipitated withdrawal. So you go into withdrawal almost immediately, and it's a shock to your system. I'd never done that. <laughs> I knew better. <laughs> that's that's good. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's... Uh... Uh, when you explain it, I go, yep, that's that one. Cause then there's another one. There, there's some other things. There's that, Subutex uh, and there's methadone. Folks have tried that I'm aware of. And, uh, yeah, Suboxone. So that one, so that plus being in a good work situation, being away from maybe the people you had been, um, using with or getting it from, um, mm -hmm. and I mean, I don't know the role your dad played, but you're, you know feeling safe and feeling all of that and then working hard and using Suboxone got you clean after a year and a half, you say? Yeah, because the Suboxone, like I said, it doesn't make you feel high. It just, 
it allowed me to the best way to explain heroin withdrawal or opiate withdrawal to people is it's not just the physical discomfort and the physical pins and needles in your arms and your legs. You can't get comfortable. You're sweating. Your stomach is sick. You feel like shitting yourself and you just feel like you want to die. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. sound that bad, but let me guarantee you when you're going through it for like three or four days straight and it does not let up, you would probably want to take a hit too. And that's, that's only part of it because the other part of the addiction is your brain is playing tricks on you because you've created these pathways in your brain to believe that heroin's the only thing that will make you happy. So the whole time you're in pain and you know, it's the one thing that can make you feel better. That's all you want to do. And the psychological aspect of it, like, the first time I was getting clean, I just had the constant thought and it's it's disgusting, but I kept having the constant thought of putting the actual needle in my vein because that was something that for whatever reason I had enjoyed because I knew I was going to get high afterwards. So my brain is replaying that thought in my head over and over and over as I'm in agony. And I literally thought when I was trying to go cold Turkey the first time that this drug is going to kill me. I have no power over this whatsoever. I'm going to die this way. I was so scared. I was terrified because I never, I never felt so out of control in my life. I never felt so scared and alone. And it was very humbling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I had to pick myself back up from that. And it's, A lot of people, unfortunately, it's just easier to lay down and die and to just succumb to that because they don't feel like there is hope or they don't have anything to live for. But even if I didn't feel like I had much to live for, I had faith in myself and I knew I had people who really cared about me. So I had to promise myself I would get through that and prove to myself and the people who love me that I can be great and I can do good things. And eventually when I'm successful, I want to be able to help those around me and spread the wealth. You know, I want to help everybody around me be the best versions of themselves. And I I just, I need to be the best version of me possible. To be able to Because I don't want to die thinking, what if, what if I did this? What if I did that? I'm, you only get one life and I feel like being an addict makes you feel like surviving a car accident when everybody around you has died. Mm. You have some kind of weird guilt for, for being alive. I've lost five friends from heroin overdoses in the last Mm. like three, four years. Mm. And it makes me feel bad in a way because that could have been me you know, and they were great people. They were amazing people. They deserve to live. They were young. So it makes me feel sad sometimes like, hey, I'm alive, but they give me purpose and they make me want to live and they make me want to show people that you can do this. You can beat it. You can be better. You don't have to be stuck that way. Your life can be shit. You can live in a fucking gutter in the slums you can have no fucking money and you can fucking get out of that 
You can get out of that. You just need to believe that you can. You just have to believe that you can do it. If you don't believe and you don't have faith, you'll never pull through ever. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very uh, impressed. And uh, that's so such a powerful story for so many people to hear. So thank you for being willing to share it. And now that you've done that work, and you had that faith, you had some some help, but you did a it sounds like a lot of it with your own will. Um, what's what's going on now? How's it going? <laughs> Where are you at? What are you doing? What's? Uh, how's life? Um, so when I first had gotten clean, I decided to go to this place called the Sausage Castle down in Florida. And I lived with Mike Busey. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of this place. Yeah. I've, uh, well, I don't, I've, I think my friends follow him on Snapchat. They told me to, and I've, I might still anyway. Yeah. So really? I lived there. lived there. I lived there for almost two years. I toured with them twice. I learned how to breathe fire. Um, we performed at Gathering of the Juggalos two years sure. in a row, which was fucking amazing for me because I love ICP. And I I started <laughs> listening to them when I was like 10 because of my older brother. Okay. So I knew every word to every song and it was just like the greatest time of my life. Oh, it. that's rad. And uh, I mean, that's a pretty heavy party atmosphere, but you, but it was okay. It didn't. Well, uh, I had to leave, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to go into detail, but sure. I, I just, I didn't like how he was running the business and we didn't agree on a lot of things and he can be one of the biggest douchebags I've ever met in my life. Okay. Um, so my boyfriend and I both, we met there actually, cause he oh, was, wow. the, he is the audio engineer in the music studio and I'm interested in music. So we just kind of hit it off because I always wanted to learn about music. We like to smoke. And then we had all these musical uh, bands and artists in common yeah. that we liked. So um, we decided to leave because I said, fuck this guy. We're going to go build our own music studio and do our own thing. And we're going to kill life. We don't need this man. Gotcha. So we left. Gotcha. And um, so now he's been teaching me We've been together almost three years and he's been teaching me how to produce music. So I put out my first song in October. No shit. Oh, that's awesome. That's really exciting. And I've been learning how to DJ. Oh, that's great. And uh, yeah. I forgot to mention it, but your Snapchat is uh, EDM. Oh, I had it written down, but EDM can dot candy. K-A-N-D-I-I. Nope. Just, Just EDM candy. Just EDM candy, K-A-N-D-I-I. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you have, I mean, when you're checking your audio, you sang a little bit. And uh, and uh, audio engineer boyfriend, you are interested. EDM interest. So it sounds like music is pretty important to your life. I mean, I'm sure, you know, music in the club is important. So music is pretty important in your life. Yeah. I would well, like to be able you... to dance to my own music at some point in the club. And uh, then people will say, oh, my God, the song is dope. Who is this? And I'm gonna be like, it's me. It's motherfucker. me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What yeah. do you uh, typically dance to? I like to dance to everything. I'm a chameleon. I am a multifaceted person. 
And I am, I consider myself a true entertainer. So to be a true entertainer, I feel that you have to kind of cater to your crowd, you know? Um, So I do what I want, but I also want to make sure that if I'm dancing in a room full of older white guys, <laughs> I'm going to play some like 80s Robert Palmer. Or I'm going to play some Aerosmith or I'm going to play sure. some fucking ACDC or I'm going to play Pantera. Like I'm going to I'm I can't even get away with Rob Zombie, like Nine Inch Nails. I, I love dancing to all of the um, the classic rock and alternative rock, but I also really love um edm music obviously i love dubstep i love trap music mm-hmm. i love moombaton i'm a huge fan of dylan francis and diplo mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i i i just absolutely love like the drums and anything that's bass music that makes me want to twerk and move my booty <laughs> that's wonderful so yeah i love the i love both and right it can be both um something you love and something the audience is going to relate to and enjoy and it doesn't have to be either or you know you don't have to be like well i like this and fuck all the yeah. people that you, you can just well every now and buy. then if it's a night where people are not tipping like there's every <laughs> every now and then there's a night where there's guys in the club and they're just sitting there and they're being cheap and they're just staring at you every girl so i'll get so angry i'll go up and i'll dance to like lamb of god <laughs> and fucking slipknot and i'll start i'll dance to like white chapel or something and I'm like fuck you get the right. fuck out of here because That's nobody's funny. tipping me so fuck off so who like, cares anyway right yeah. yeah yeah that's hilarious that's great um you said that you were praised for doing poll work and people were saying you gotta go rochester or not for you you gotta get to new york or la or las vegas or and then you went to florida so is poll like did you just train yourself teach yourself did you um yeah oh wow okay and uh i went on i went on youtube and there were a lot of um there were some apps on the phone that i used but I also watched a lot of dancers that I worked with and I would watch how they get into a move and how they get out of it because you can know how to get into a move, but if you don't know how to get out of it, (laughs) you can hurt yourself. So I would always watch very closely and every now and then I would ask like, hey, I almost have this move down, but I don't know where to put my knee or something. And sometimes they would help me. So um, I just kind of took things that I had learned and things that I had seen and then put my own spin on them to make it my own. So I wasn't like just copying this person outright. That's great. That's really cool. And so you, um, in the clubs you've worked in, uh, you've worked in Rochester clubs, you've maybe done some travel dancing, but then mostly what city was that in Florida? Um, I was, I was in Miami, but I have Miami. danced in 32 different cities. Holy hell. Country. All in yeah. the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so, wild. And I still want to travel to more places once things start to go back to normal a little bit. I don't want to dance right now. 
um, until we have like a little bit more normalcy. I want to be able to do a lap dance and not think like, am I going to get sick? Yeah. Like I just, I want to be able to just go back to normal. So yeah. I'm kind of waiting for that. Um, but yeah, I, I want to try Arizona. I want to go to Texas. Um, and I've, I've honestly, like I've danced in, in Miami, I've danced in Orlando, I've danced in Daytona, I've danced in Tampa, I danced in um, Denver, and then I danced in like some smaller places. Um, Portland ever? And in New York City. No, I haven't actually made it out to Portland yet. They... I think I would like it, but I've heard mixed reviews on the clubs out there. Um, but I think I would appreciate Portland because it is more progressive. I think I would have a good time there. Yeah. yeah um, <laughs> more, you know, most per capita in the U S. Um, so there's a wide, the downtown clubs are very different than, um, those that aren't downtown basically. And, um, yeah. and there's a wide variety and yeah, we, if you ever go, let me know, we'll connect you to some folks so they can give you tips and where Woo. to go and stuff. But I think they would love your look and your vibe and the forward thinking, um, attitude you have. So that's great. Uh, and when you, um, so let's talk a little bit about, okay. So you talked about the songs, uh, you're good at pole work. What's your, uh, like I go to the club and you're there. Are you, are you, um, are you getting money from me? Cause you're, cause I'm throwing it to you on stage. Cause you're just so amazing on stage. Yes. I think is the answer there probably. Uh, and then you talked <laughs> about lap dances. Are you, do you have like game on the floor that gets, or do you just like, Hey, I'm so good on stage. They come up to me. <laughs> um, well, <Or> <laughs> Okay, so here's the thing. Because I'm bipolar, uh, I uh, can differ on how I work every night. Mm. So it depends on what kind of mood I'm in when I'm there. Mm. If I'm not in a good mood, I will spend a lot of time in the dressing room. Um, or when I'm out on the floor, I just want to dominate guys. I want a guy that has a foot fetish. I want a guy who wants me to tell him he's a piece of shit. Like <laughs> I just, I want to pinch somebody's nipples. Like I want to slap them in the face and kick them in the balls. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll find plenty There's, of guys who are interested yeah. in that. Right, and yeah. there are guys that love me for that because I am a little fucking brat. Gotcha. I like to gotcha. be a princess. So, um, <laughs> then there's other times though, where I'm actually feeling very talkative and I, I got a lot of jokes and I'm going to walk Ooh. around and talk to people and I like to use my sense of humor. That's awesome. Because so, that, yeah. like, I've noticed that I, like, I don't feel like I'm intimidating, but when I come up to a man especially if he doesn't have a lot of experience with women in the real world. Um, I need to make him feel comfortable. I need to make him feel relaxed. I need to m break the ice basically. So yes. I'll come up, you know, my stage name used to be Tatiana when I danced the first eight years. Okay. So guys would say, Hey, are you Russian? And I'd say, I'm not in a hurry. Ah, great. Love so, it. Uh, <laughs> so I you would, can make I them would just giggle. Try to make people and... laugh. Yeah. yeah. 
that'll really relax <coughs> anybody and uh, someone who does stand-up comedy for a living. And then I actually teach a class. I finished a virtual class last night. I know how much value there is in sense of humor and being funny in multiple different you know, mm -hmm. professions or life situations. But you're totally right that um, it's so charming. Um, even though... Mm, even though your work is sex work and it's there's nudity and it's supposed to be sexy and hot and sultry or whatever, presumably, humor works so well from my, you know, just my vantage point watching and experiencing strip yeah. clubs. So that's great. Do you have, so there's, you gave us one. Do you have a lot? Did you have a lot of stock jokes like that that you would use? uh a lot um, or did or do you i mean uh or was it mostly I mean, just witty i'm yeah i'm just naturally kind of witty and mm -hmm. i'm snarky so mm -hmm. i i kind of just do it on the fly um but i can i just read the person really and i figure out what kind of person they are and i i'll know what kind of humor will uh, appeal to them by what kind of person they are interesting that's good. I'm sure you can you can do that as well. And you can yeah. tell if if your energy isn't vibing with someone either. If somebody just doesn't like you, they don't fucking like you. So <laughs> there's there's some guys that I'll talk to or I'll approach and they're just not reacting to anything I'm saying. They don't think I'm fucking funny. Maybe I'm not their type. And I'm like, all right, buddy, let me know if you change your mind. And then I walk away. <laughs> Bounce. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that uh, so that's so funny you say that that I know that. Yes, I do know that very well from stand up and then also anytime I've tried to flirt. Um, but uh, <laughs> you um, yeah, I think you're probably using your college education more than me, <laughs> your psychology education. Well, more that's than the I. thing is <laughs> learning about psychology is so helpful in stripping because I have learned like you can even if you wanted to go further as a dancer, you can look into the different personality types and you can really start to read people and you'll learn what type of sales approach is more effective for each personality type. Mm. Yeah, some guys, they need you to be aggressive. Other guys, they want you to be a little bit more timid and playful and hard to get. You know, like you yeah. just have to feel it out with the guy and see where he's at. That's great. I mean, that's so. And then when you and then your preference, um, I mean, kind of describe the perfect. Besides giving you a bunch of money, what's a perfect patron or customer, or what do they do that you're like, this is great when customers do this or say this or act in this way. I mean, I'm not going to be the first one to say this, but I love no, the fine. guy that will say, okay, I want an hour with you. And then when we get in there, he says, just sit down. You don't have to dance. <laughs> I love it. And then when they're like, I just want to give you a back rub. Tell me about your life. Okay. That's going to be like another 20 and maybe a bottle of champagne. But hey, you want to hear about my life? Okay. So there's obvious appeal to that. Um, I mean, champagne, back row, extra money. Um, but is it like, yeah, I could use a little break. Is that the upside? Is it like, I don't it's really like giving lap dances anyway? Well, or, you know, what? Yeah. yeah. Being, giving a lap dance and any kind of sex work is, like I said, 
mentally draining. It it drains your energy. So having somebody like that does allow me to recharge my battery. Um, And then it's also good because if I've had bad experiences with a customer or two that night, that person is also making me feel better about myself, which is nice because those other people just were kind of shit bags. So it's refreshing. They, they renew your hope in humanity. <laughs> That's great. And you, uh, and typically you feel like it's genuine. I, I, not that it matters too much, but like. I don't care. If you're giving yeah. me money, you can fucking lie to me. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's I so don't funny. care. What are some of the <laughs> shitbag things uh, that uh, someone was, you know, I mean, we have some obvious things, but. Uh, I've had you're... guys tell me, you remind me of my daughter. Mm. <laughs> Thanks. You remind <laughs> me of my cousin. Was that in Arkansas? Yeah. Or was. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was in New York. Oh, wow. Wild. Um, so gotcha, but some guys are, and then some guys, I hate the guys that come into the club and they're like, I'll give you a hundred dollars to have sex with me. I'm like, first Ooh. of all, buddy, my rate starts at 500. So <laughs> you were going to, you can't afford me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, they think they're throwing around a hundred, huh? Look at that. Yeah, um, it's really insulting when somebody does that because even the fact that they can't afford me, like I I am in a relationship and I don't do that stuff now anyways. Sure. But even when I was, that is insulting. And I would never and I, I tell girls this all the time, do not sell yourself short because you're gonna regret it later. Don't yeah. fucking do that. Like, at least know your worth. And a lot of girls would even say five hundred is cheap. Sure. I think I think five hundred is the lowest anybody should ever go for full service sex work. But mm. not everybody has that luxury. So I guess whatever works for you. But for me personally, I would never go below that. Right. Right. So a guy to just say a hundred is just like ew. He should be embarrassed. <laughs> he yeah. should be embarrassed. Um, that's and then you. Okay, so have you over the years ever, you know, been concerned about like, I don't know, legality or um, is are there undercover stings or they're like, hey, we got to be careful. Uh, we're get, there's a, there's been a bit of a crackdown on what we've been doing here. Or, yeah. Does that ever happen? I try not to work at clubs where I have to worry about that. Mm. Um, When I'm traveling and I do my research, like I'm on a forum, it's called stripperweb.com. And I've been on it since 2014. And it's a great place for sex workers, all types of sex workers to come together and share information way before Instagram, way before Twitter, like, yeah, yeah, this is the place to be. It's the stripper hub, the sex worker hub. It's great. Um, So that gives me a lot of information on what I should look out for and what might be an issue when I travel. Mm. Um, So if I hear that a club has been raided multiple times, I'm probably not going to go to that club. Not going to. Because 
especially now that I'm not doing full service sex work anymore, I don't want to work in a club where that is expected from all of the dancers. And I think every club has a certain amount of full service going on. Mm. It's just how open they are about it Mm. and how the club handles it and what their view on it is. So I've, I prefer to work in a club that does not allow full service to happen and they will they don't care what the girls do outside of the club, but they don't want it to happen in the club. That's mm. the kind of club I prefer to work in. But I, I know that even if a club has those standards, girls are still going to get away with what they can get away with and they're still going to do it. So every club has a certain level of that. So it's not that I don't want to compete. It's that I don't want to get into trouble I don't want to be affiliated with that if anything were to happen. I don't want that on my record if if I were to be arrested because I was there. Right. You know. It's <laughs> I don't know if this is a great analogy, but I know you said the competition part isn't your biggest concern, but there is a thing of like in comedy where if I go and do a show and somebody has like like a guitar or a puppet, or they do like what we would call hack jokes, like super easy, super unoriginal jokes or stolen material or whatever, or they're doing a big dance joke thing. And a lot of comedians are like, come on, like, I don't want to, I don't, this is, this isn't, we're supposed to be selling jokes, you know, I'm supposed to be selling dances and supposed to be dancing. Um, I don't, I could compete with you, <laughs> but this isn't what I'm, I'm not about this, uh, is our yeah. attitude. And so I, and I, and I feel like. Because the, that's the thing is it's hard now because of FOSTA and SESTA, especially mm-hmm. that girls do feel like they have to be in the club. So before it would make me angry and I'm not going to lie before Um, When I was younger and I was not an experienced dancer, I would say, oh, I don't have to do extras for money. Uh, You know, I would I would kind of talk shit about the girls who were doing full service sex work because I was still new. I didn't understand like the whole depth of how far sex work can go. And Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that sex work is work no matter what kind of sex work you're doing. Mm. So it's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. Like, oh, you're a fucking hoe. Well, bitch, you're grinding on this dude's hard <laughs> dick. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, who's the yeah. biggest hoe? Shut the Here, fuck up. Here's my line. You know, yeah. Right. right. It's like, no, bitch. So we all basically at the end of the day, it has to be a sisterhood We have to come together and we have to protect each other. So it doesn't matter if you don't want to suck a dick. It doesn't matter because some of your sisters are doing that. So you have to protect them and just make sure that they're safe because you don't know why they're doing it. Sure. You have to, it's their survival. They can have children. They, you don't know their situation. You don't know what they're going through. That is how they're going to eat. Yeah. So you can't really sit there and talk shit about these people. You're not in their shoes. 
Yeah. Like you, you're not living their life. So yeah. I've learned now, like you just can't put full service sex workers down. And because like I said, I've been there now. I, yeah. I understand that hustle. So I don't knock that hustle at all. <laughs> I, I personally, yeah, I personally uh, have always felt that way uh, about um, our entertainment world too of like don't i mean we're all it's just so hard doing a stand-up comedy is so hard just if someone wants to sell magnets after the show and you think that's corny who cares if someone needs to you know if a comedian takes a job as a host of a travel channel tv show and you're like that's not comedy shut up Shut yeah, up. shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Let them do it. Get their your thing. paper and don't worry about what anybody says. Also, you would have taken the job I got offered to you. So shut, so you're full of shit. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Um that's great. So you're uh you I mean, you're so interesting and you have so much going on and it's been a weird eleven months, I assume, especially since you're kinda, you know holding on for like, I'm going on the road next week and I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but, uh, you know, I'm doing it and, uh, you're kind of waiting for more normalcy and, uh, yeah. Right. And, um, to, to Phoenix, to Arizona, where they're like leading the country in cases. And, um, so, uh, so yeah, so you, I'm just gonna stay outside and golf can go do the show inside and hurry up and run back outside after yeah. I'm done. Um, but you, um, uh, you know, you must be, I don't know, or you, you said you were crafting last time I messaged you and, uh, what have you been doing with all this time? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I noticed that when COVID started, a lot of sex workers, were either they're doing one of two things okay they are going really fucking hard on their only fans and creating a ton of content and doing photo shoots and working really fucking hard to do the online thing right and then there's the other ones who are promoting private parties mm. and bachelor parties underground strip club pop-up strip club type events okay i don't yeah. think that's safe i don't condone that at all i think that that is not a good idea right now mm. whatsoever i think everybody needs to pretty much take every precaution that they can and i know at these private get-togethers they're not going to be enforcing face masks or social distancing or anything um so it's not helping the current situation that we're in um so i don't appreciate that but right. the girls that are doing everything they can online i i do appreciate that but i i also feel like for me um i I just, I lost interest in creating online content. I used to sell content online. Um, and I just, I don't like to film. I don't <laughs> want that shit online anymore. Like sure. I'm in a relationship, so I'm, I'm, and I'm older now. So I'm kind of like, I'm moving out. I'm kind of growing out of this yeah. in a way. 
So um, I decided to try different avenues. So as soon as COVID hit in like January, my boyfriend and I had just um, financed a vehicle and then we decided to move from New York to Massachusetts because I was having issues with my family and we couldn't take it anymore. Okay. Um, so we came to Massachusetts. We don't have to pay rent here. We just pay utilities. So it was giving us a chance to save money and um, be close to his family mm. for a little while. Um, but when the lockdown started, we were out of work for a couple of months and I didn't want to, I just stopped selling my online content. Mm. So I had no job and I had no money coming in except for the occasional clothing sale Mm. because, um, right before COVID I had started like reselling clothing on Poshmark. Mm -hmm. depop facebook Mm -hmm. marketplace ebay um and sometimes craigslist depending on the item Hmm. um so i started reselling clothing and basically i just wanted to get rid of stuff in my closet that i didn't need anymore um or that didn't fit me because when i got off drugs i had all these size zero and double zero (laughs) pants that i don't fit into anymore because i'm a size seven I went Perfect. from 80, 80 pounds to 135 pounds. So that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, still good. good. Good, yeah. <laughs> you look perfect. So, yeah. Thank you. So um, I just wanted to get rid of stuff that I didn't need anymore. And I also wanted to make some money. But then I started looking into um, flipping items and buying pallets and buying things wholesale. And so I started looking for lots of clothing that I could buy from people. So I bought some from Victoria's Secret, um, some that were mixed lots of like Michael Kors and like Jones, New York and a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So after a year of reselling on all of these platforms, I started to get into TikTok and I saw a bunch of videos about epoxy and then I ran into cricket videos and all the crafting side of TikTok. Wow. And TikTok is so enormous, but okay. Yeah, yeah I love TikTok. So I got into the, the cricket and I mm-hmm. saw that it's a, it's a die cutting machine. What's that? Okay. Okay. So it can, my cricket machine can cut over 150 different materials. And it's a, <laughs> it's a very impressive machine. Huh? Um, so they're getting very popular now. It's like a, they're selling out a lot of places and a lot of places are now starting to sell vinyl and all of the tools that you need. It's really interesting. Huh. Um, but I started to get interested in the fact that like, well, I used to have a sewing machine and I, I was experimenting with making my own clothing. And then I have the Cricut, I have a sewing machine, I have my heat press. 
So now, um, and I have dyes, so I'm gonna be tie dyeing stuff. I can press my own graphics and designs onto shirts. And I bought studs and rivets and stuff I can put on clothes. Um, so I'm, I'm just customizing clothing now and I'm, I started to form my own brand. So I'm in the early stages. I have like four different types of the logo um, drawn out and I have uh, the beginning of a business plan in place. So awesome. So I'm excited. Cool. That is really exciting. And it's um, so cool to like, we're creatives, you know, and uh, so regardless of the avenue, you're going to be creative. It's music, it's this um, clothing or crafting and, um, uh, you know, you you do what you want, but The Artist's Way is a very, very good book for creatives to read. And um, uh, who's the I author? Uh, Julia Cameron. Uh, it's been around for years and years and years. It's like a 12 step for artists kind of thing. Uh, oh, it's interesting. And, um, I just took a class on it. It's very, very phenomenal. Um, so that's that. And then the second thing is, uh, I got a pair of, uh, brand new Joe's jeans that I need to sell. Where, where would be the best, <laughs> uh, should I sell them on eBay or Depop or, uh, something else? I think that for men, I uh -huh. think uh, good places to sell would be Mercari or Grailed. Mercari, I have heard of that. Say the other one. Grailed, it's G-R-A-I-L-D. Got it. I won't forget. Um, yeah, I think those are be better platforms for men to sell. Possibly Depop. I don't, Depop might work for you as well. Yeah. Well, you are, I wish you all the best and all of that. And I agree. I hope things get back to normal and I can just feel comfortable going and doing stand-up shows and not have to investigate every uh, last thing about the club and the city <laughs> to see if it's, and you can do everything perfect and it's still not safe. So that's crazy and it's yeah. frustrating. And um, so we'll be back. But uh, in the meantime, we're hustling and doing other things. And I love your shirt. And uh, we'll have to <laughs> sex work is real work. And it sounds like you're doing. So you got to follow uh, Candy on all the things. Uh, like I said, on Instagram, it's ataxia.333. That is also her um, TikTok. I just found her real quick and followed her. Yep. Um, on Snapchat, uh, it is... EDM Candy, K-A-N-D-I-I. -I. We're at Stripper yeah. Podcast on Instagram and Stripper Whisper is the name of what we just did. What a fun and vulnerable and beautiful interview. You're so great. I appreciate you very, very much. Uh, thank you, everybody, and say bye. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course.